0: Welcome to the Rethink Energy podcast with myself, Andries Vantana, and my colleagues Peter White, Simon Thompson, and Harry Morgan. In this episode, we discuss Boston Metal's electrolyzer based steelmaking, a record high year for solar installations worldwide, especially in Vietnam, and what the Biden administration can do for renewables now that it has all three branches of the US government. Harry, I was going to ask you about Boston Metal.
1: And and steel production because it's quite a controversial topic. A lot of people think steel production through well, say through hydrogen or renewables
0: isn't possible.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. and um, to think of the steel industry and I suppose things like cement and concrete as well because it's they're such large contributors towards global emissions. I know steel often between sort of seven and nine percent per year of the global output of CO two. So and when it's sort of this really heavy industry, there's often people who think. This is gonna be one of the ones where we don't really see much decarbonisation and this is where carbon negative things start to offset it. We see sort of the same sort of aviation, but it's really interesting seeing these companies like Boston Metal and Hybrid, who we talked about um, a few months ago, coming through with these sort of ideas to actually decarbonise the industries from bottom up. I mean, for steel, it would be the first time we really saw the industry transform in millennium, really. I mean, since steel starts being made 3,000 years ago, it's always been made with sort of high heat, getting your iron ore and sort of reducing it that way.
1: Can you sum up the differences between the Boston Metal uh, approach and hybrids?
2: Yeah, so Boston Metal uses a molten uh, oxide electrolysis approach. So what essentially happens here is you run very high electric current through the sort of electrolyzing system it, it basically melts a metal oxide and then reduces it so you end up with uh, the pure metal or a metal alloy at one electrode and then oxygen as a byproduct at another um, and it's essentially this is one one step system which In theory just replaces the sort of multi-step approach that we see in the steel industry at the moment where you've got blast oxygen furnaces often you've got direct reduction installations then uh, electric arc furnaces so that's what Boston Metal are doing they're using this one-stage approach with electrolysis a hybrid instead of really completely changing the way we make steel they're intending to use hydrogen to provide the heat that um, sort of coal would normally provide Uh, the good thing about hybrid is they're focusing on direct reduction which is slightly more innovative approach slightly less energy intensive but it is sort of more more traditional less of a sort of step away from the steel making we've seen in the past
1: so historically we learned how to make steel by first making iron and then making uh, iron with a bit of carbon in it and then slowly we, we reached the point where the steel manufacturing process was done in multiple steps five or six steps and we're not rethinking that we're just replacing uh, the fossil fuels in it is the hybrid approach, but rethinking that, because higher temperatures are available to us, is what the Boston Metal approach is.
2: Yeah, and it, it's worth saying that the Boston Metal approach doesn't, not it's not suddenly a cooled down process, obviously you still to molten metal, which is, I think the melting point of steel something like 1200 degrees Celsius. But the way that they're they're melting it in this in this sense is by flowing electricity through it. So obviously there will have to be um, some sort of some ridiculously high level of electric current. I'm not exactly sure um, what the intensity of that will be. Um, there are very few figures that Boston Metal have made public on that front. But uh, yeah, it will be high. And so, I think that's
1: so you'd have to change not only every process and replace it with one process. But you're going to have to change all the. St- so you can't just so, so people are going to resist this. It's going to be a bit of a Tesla approach, isn't it? Doing everything completely differently and people will resist it. And not, so this is not for taking existing steelmakers and helping them move slowly into, uh, into fossil free production. It's, it's almost um, disrupting them with brand new steelmakers who can make stuff cheaper.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. So Boston Metal's approach in terms of its route to market is to op- operate as sort of a technology licensor. So it will just be selling on its technology and certain components for the technology. So it's not impossible to think that some of the large steel makers will pick it up and start to operate sort of small facilities, maybe yeah. sort of smaller facilities with this metal oxide electrolysis before then expanding out. That's one thing that uh, Boston Metal does say about this technology is that it can be implemented on a small scale and then sort of built up
1: but that's why they're coming at it from mm. building alloys first.
2: Yeah, to, absolutely, because that's right. it's less of a risk in terms of the upfront capital cost of that, um, of actually sort of building out the infrastructure.
1: And so project. a steelmaker could be saying, right, we're going to make our basic steel the same old way. We might use hybrids uh, method to get rid of the uh, fossil fuels. And then when we turn that steel into multiple different alloys, we might then use the boston metal approach and then we might go well, this is really good we could change one of our large plants to make steel this way that's that's their logic isn't it
2: yeah exactly and it's becoming much more of an economic problem as well i think over the next year or so in particular we'll see carbon pricing systems really starting to to grow and include things like steel making
1: uh, does um, it not already
2: uh, often it doesn't. I know the new one in China doesn't off the Your bat. That's just for power generation.
1: That's ridiculous.
2: Um, but the steel production produces two tons of CO two for every ton of steel it produces. So <laughs> suddenly, when you've got a, wow. a carbon price of up to a hundred dollars, then suddenly you've got a two hundred dollar per ton boost on the price of steel. Still, at the moment, it's around six hundred dollars per ton. But with sort of the and sort of with the demand increases, we're expecting to see that sort of rise.
1: But this I mean, is it's, a, another area where you take someone like. Um, Bloomberg or Wood Mackenzie and they are always assuming a least expensive route for everything that people will continue to do things the least expensive route but as soon as you have a government intervening and implementing a carbon tax the least expensive route changes dramatically overnight and that's what's going to happen to the steel industry would you characterize steel makers as mentally flexible like renewable energy companies or would you characterize them as uh, uh,
2: stuck in their ways like fossil fuel companies? It's a tricky one. I suppose if I had to characterize them I'd probably characterize them the same as companies like General Electric maybe so they are still very focused on business that they've had for hundreds of years basically but I think there is a very much a growing consensus that there is going to need to be this change and an awareness of the economic benefits that these changes will make. I mean all of the indicators in terms of pricing are pointing to the fact that this low carbon steel will be cheaper um, once it reaches economies of scale this is a
1: dramatic change I mean this is as carbon as China and America add have a carbon tax this is going to kill all the existing steel makers who do not make this change,
2: yeah, definitely. I think the, the one thing that's worth noting about this, though, is that it's not like oil in the sense that there's suddenly going to be a demand shortage. I think, especially in sort of the post COVID world, we're going to be in there's going to be a lot of infrastructure investment and a lot of demand for steel. I mean, many people are thinking we're going to have prices of above a thousand dollars per tonne, so and they're not
1: frightened of that, they're saying that's okay.
2: I mean for the steel makers, it's great because it's it just means more profit but yeah in, in terms of people thinking actually we can use this profit to drive change that's where we really hope to see the the extra money go
1: so and andres uh, you've been writing
0: about solar well worldwide solar counts so has anything changed much in the last quarter well it's it's solar's growing in general but also It looks like we've had a very, very big quarter uh, right at the end of 2020. So um, not all of the stats have been reported yet officially in in some countries for quarter four because it just ended. Um, But China probably added maybe as much as 20 gigawatts in the last quarter. Uh, There were reports that they added 15 gigawatts just in December because they're ending the uh, subsidy for utility scale solar. And finally, they're going to go on to parity after that. So that's why there's a big rush. And overall, if you extrapolate from these 14 biggest markets that we're looking at, which are, which are over 80 percent of the global total, it looks like it may have added up to over 140 gigawatts worldwide, up from something like 115 last year. Now, that's a, that's a maximal estimate, but it's it's a huge year for solar either way. Out of those, the biggest was Vietnam. Mm. again it's it's a bit chaotic and a lot of it was added in like the last week officially Vietnam what, what they did before April this year they had a high feed-in tariff and then they reduced it because it was probably too high and they're going to regret having to pay it for 20 years uh, in April but they still had a fairly big one and they didn't reduce the rooftop feed-in tariff as much so it looks like they've added about 13 gigawatts of solar in the second half of 2020, which is, they were matching pace with uh, Japan and the USA. It's gigantic. And and a lot of this was just ramshackle agricultural buildings. And it was all skewed into the the later part of the year because people built these little buildings just to put rooftop solar on them. (laughs) And then they didn't have walls. And the officials said, well, if it doesn't have walls, it's not really rooftop, it's just like a ground mounted thing. So then they all were building walls. For these little agricultural farmland structures, and then, and then you know, commissioning them later, it, it was um, an incredible rush. Uh, and now there's also a pol- policy. Uh, there's no policy. They ended the uh, feed-in tariff and haven't replaced it with anything quite yet. Probably again because they don't want to pay too much money. Uh, that's that's the thing that happens quite often. I think Ukraine, with its financial problems, was trying to renege on its deals to to pay the feed-in tariff. So so hopefully Vietnam doesn't end up with that sort of problem. It's one of
1: the fastest growing economies in the world, if not the, I haven't looked at the, or many people claim that.
0: Well, that's true, yeah. I don't know what the GDP figure is, but I know that their energy demand is growing by uh, 8% a year when it's not messed with by coronavirus. And uh, so they've got all all, all these factories coming along. Uh, They've got the same GDP per capita as India, so they're not up there with China yet, but maybe they're heading there quite rapidly
2: it's an astonishing story
0: and i think they had something like 50 percent electrification back in 1990 so in 30 years they've come a very long way to and how do we characterize
1: their style of government is it the same as china is it is it centrally managed is it five-year plan i think they
0: do i I think they do still have the good old communist five-year plans and, um, of course, compared to a place like India, it, it's very homogenous as well.
1: Nobody wants to cover over the cracks of, of a centrally managed society with a you know, one-party society. There are Obviously, there are cracks, but in terms of getting stuff done, it's clearly the best economic environment to work in because people can boss people around and, uh, and expect them to deliver. Um, and they're starting to be like China in the sense that when they say they're going to do something, they do, they do it.
0: They, it's, it's a national strategy and they control it and they look at the provinces and they adjust for the provinces like, a, I think, Ninh province, they cancelled a big nuclear power plant, just like they're cancelling loads of coal plants. Uh, and they said, OK, well, now we're going to have higher solar incentives for that province because there's this big hole in how much um, power they're going to need. And of course, 8% growth per year means it triples in 15 years. So they need massive deployment. Uh, it's going to be half. And you can compare this to India where it's it, Narendra Modi, the PM, fighting the state governments, fighting the distribution companies. The distribution companies are running out of money, but he'll only give them money to bail them out if they agree to pay some companies that they owe. And it's a, it's a horrible mess in comparison. Let's
1: just... This just um... The big story this week, I think, for most publications was in the States. (laughs) I was going to mention, yeah. So perhaps uh, we shouldn't hark on about that. It's not our territory. But our our territory is the two Georgia Senate uh, votes, uh, which the Democrats won, which now gives Biden a free hand. Now, we've already seen that the Republican Party has joined with the Democrats in putting through the $900 billion virus relief bill. And that is already going to yield benefits with ITC extensions for solar and wind. And I'm not sure it's an extension, but the addition of um, projects which are are carbon capture. What do we think? Harry, you wrote a piece on this. What do we we think those two senators? Will, Will suddenly trillions of dollars be ushered in? And how soon?
2: So, I mean, the, the introduction of the centers uh, is a great thing in terms of Joe Biden accelerating the amount of renewable projects that will end up on federal lands and in federal waters. Um, I think it was actually really staggering to see these extensions um, and sort of new tax credits institute, uh, introduced by Donald Trump. Um, I think that actually will provide a real backbone to some of Joe Biden's policies. I know the one for offshore wind and actually providing a tax credit for that will really accelerate. Um, yeah, but let's not say, so, it, let's yeah. not say
1: it was introduced by Donald Trump. It was tied to a government bill to fund the government and he either signed it or he didn't sign it. If he didn't sign it, the government, nobody in the government got paid. So, so that's how they often do it. They put it in, inside an appropriations bill and if you don't sign it, the government halts.
2: Yeah, um, I, I imagine he he, he, had a he, had biggest, he probably had bigger things on his mind as well than whether or not offshore wind was receiving a 30% tax credit. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think it's a great thing. I think um, these tax credits will see several, I think it was around 13% we calculated off the cost of offshore wind in the US um, and obviously continued support for onshore wind and for solar, which would be great. Obviously, it's just continued extensions of existing tax uh, credits was there anything
1: for for energy storage in this
2: no so that's the one thing that people have really sort of been complaining about there's been nothing for energy storage if it's a standalone project oh but But if it's with solar
1: it's fine
2: yeah if it's with solar it's fine and that will generally um be most preferable if you're going through a production tax credit route as that is solely based on the electricity you feed in and out i think it does also apply somewhat to the uh, investment tax credit if you if you want to sort of put that into your initial capital cost but i know for energy storage it's much more about the the flow of electricity going in and out so it will be interesting to see w- what projects choose to adopt because there is a choice there whether or not you want to adopt well a, you uh,
1: either you either have the money to build the project or you don't and if you don't then you want the um, you, you want the itc but um but if you but, but but it's already one of the most profitable things to be doing in american energy um, we've seen that in California, and we've seen that in Australia actually more than anything else. When when that um, when that that uh, uh, Tesla inspired installation paid for itself in about eighteen months, it, and, and and it's quite odd when you see uh, auctions for energy in the states and look at the pricing of them, they can they float between sort of thirty dollars per megawatt hour to nine thousand dollars per wow. megawatt hour when they're desperate. And, uh, and if you can find prices like that, and you just volunteer your battery at that point, the, the, the production uh, or the generation that you're getting, the revenue you're getting from that generation is massive. And it's already one of the most probable things to, to do, but it's not guaranteed. It depends how you operate and when you buy and sell and what happens on your market. But even so, investors love knowing that they're not gonna pay any tax anyway we didn't really attack what uh, what biden's gonna do what i mean i think that the key thing he's gonna do is fund um electric vehicles um and, and incentivize that and that's gonna that's gonna be like an avalanche in the states
2: yeah i think it would be um a huge expansion in charge point network i think we'll probably see the same to some extent with um hydrogen refueling stations for trucks and I think we'll probably start to see more investment across the country interconnectors, so that there can be more security in terms of around sort of the variability of solar in one location versus a lack of solar in another location at any given point in time. I think that's the sort of spending we're going to really see through the Biden administration is, the, is in terms of the infrastructure needed to support the growth that we'll see off the back of utilities actually installing the power generation um, themselves and consumers actually buying electric vehicles themselves.
1: No, and I think that's, uh, I mean, it is what part of the puzzle. Uh, is how to get rid of petroleum uh, and you know by triggering EVs early enough, um, and uh, which is another subject which really happened this week as well. Everybody involved in EVs or batteries or anything really renewable, the share price went up. Um, it went up as soon as the two senators had been elected because the, the markets had it programmed in that um, if the Democrats get their, their way, then, then electric vehicles are gonna become more popular. And Tesla's share price is, is uh, it was already in the, the land of fantasy, and now it's gone, uh, it's gone through the roof.